0: When did this begin? When did certain people, it's not everyone clearly, but when did certain people start to feel so emboldened that they choose to physically confront and verbally assault a person just because they have a differing political point of view? Dr. Lisa Young joins us this afternoon to discuss this. Dr. Young is a professor of political science from the University of Calgary. Dr. Young, thank you so much for making time for us today. I always appreciate it. Thank you happy to be here. Uh, When when do you think this began, this hyper divisiveness in politics, but it seems to be on steroids as of late? Yeah,
1: I mean... I think there's been some dimension of this in our politics for a long time, um, but we've certainly seen an escalation of it in in recent years. And I think there's a couple of things going on here. One is that um, as we have a more diverse group of people in politics, we sh- it, it seems to trigger a particular kind of response and so when I saw the video on the weekend I immediately thought about some of the things we we heard about uh you know threats uh to Rachel Notley or Shannon Phillips when they were in government right here in Alberta um you know needing security details and and so on so so that's That's one piece of it, that there's something about, you know, the rise of women in politics, of uh, a more diverse political uh, group of political representatives that has um, brought some of this about. But also, I think social media has, has played a role. And watching that video, I was really struck at the extent to which it was really played for the the camera and yeah. intended to be posted on social media so that other like-minded people could congratulate uh, uh, that individual for telling the deputy prime minister off that way.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess that, that, I mean, we're going to chat with a psychologist in about, you know, 17, 18 minutes from now, Dr. Young, about that. Like, is it ego-driven? Is it insecurity and adequacy? There's all these feelings that might be mixed into this. And and it's that search for the gotcha moment that is is all, yeah, yeah, that's a whole different conversation we're going to have in a few minutes here. Um, The us versus them, though, the kind of divisiveness on steroids, I can't think of a better phrase to describe that, that we're experiencing right now. Is it connected to any political campaign in particular i mean the donald trump campaign in 2015 2016 uh, jumps to mind but it must have been happening before that no
1: well, I think we've seen the rise, you know, in, in the United States in Canada and, and elsewhere in, in Europe as well, the, the rise of, of right-wing populism. And um, th- there's certainly a belief here that there is, you know, the good people, the, the people on the ground who are poorly treated by the political elite, by experts and a real sense of resentment. And uh, Donald Trump was absolutely able to mobilize that group and, and play on their, their sentiments. Um, and you know, I think we've seen some of that in Canada as well. Um, you know, we've got Pierre Polyev, who's willing to, uh, you know, mobilize uh, some of these populist sentiments in support of his leadership campaign, and and Danielle Smith, whose leadership campaign is saying, look, if there's laws that we don't like, federal laws we don't like, Alberta doesn't have to live with them, right? And that's a bit like saying, you know, Society has rules I don't like, I don't need to, to respect those rules.
0: Interesting, interesting point there uh, chatting with Dr. Lisa Young this afternoon on the drive dr young 's a professor of political science out of the University of Calgary, uh, talking about the divisiveness right now and the emboldenment of a small uh, you know, number of people within the general population to to verbally attack people to to physically confront people uh, like Christian Freeland on Friday in Grand Prairie when they don 't agree with their, their political point of view and, and Dr. Young. What happened to respectful discourse, you know? Even within a party, if you don't like what the leader's doing, what what happened with that with that? Was it was there one prime minister's office that kind of started the top-down leadership style that maybe kind of drove us in this direction or anything like that that you can think of?
1: Well, I mean, we certainly had Top-down uh, leaders, you know, across many different parties, and I think it would be hard to point to that as as something that's causing this. And yeah. again, I think we need to think this isn't just in Canada, right? We're yeah. seeing it. In the United States, we're seeing it in the UK, you know, to the point that uh, there was a female politician a few years ago who was killed. Um, So sometimes violent threats are more than just threats, they're they're violent actions as well. So I don't think we can point to a a root Canadian cause to this. I do think, you know, looking at at the particular incident that we saw um, this weekend that the the sense of grievance of people in Alberta and Saskatchewan toward this federal government certainly i think has has left some people feeling that they are so dissatisfied with the government that they are entitled to do whatever they feel inclined to do to express that deep sense of of grievance
0: yeah that's a good point dr young that's a good point thank you so much for your time this afternoon and your thoughts on this thank you
1: my pleasure
0: you're you're, have a great evening all right that's dr lisa young professor of political science from the university of Calgary. on Friday to Christia Freeland. She was verbally attacked, verbally abused, borderline criminal, in my opinion. But I'm not a I'm not a police officer and I'm not a lawyer. Was she afraid? I bet she was. Was there fear in her feelings when this person was yelling at her? I bet I bet there was. And this is why. Listen to the language. Listen to the language here. And imagine the size of about a six foot two person going up to Christia Freeland, who's probably about five foot two. Listen to this. Christia,
1: Yes. What the f are you doing in Alberta? You fing traitors, fing. Get the f out of this province. You don't
0: belong here. Okay. So there's two people involved there. There's the guy that was cursing her out. That's the big person at six foot two. Then there was another person, a woman, who said, You don't belong here. Both of those people Absolutely disrespectful behavior. Absolutely. They chose the words they said. They chose to be disrespectful. They chose to be abusive there. To be clear, what happened on Friday is on those two people. It really is. Did they mean to intimidate Christia Freeland? You bet. Did they choose to attack her verbally and confront her in front of an elevator? Yep, they did. Were they calling out her policies? No. Were they pointing out things that uh, she could be doing better? No. Hurling verbal abuse? Never okay, in my opinion. But what bugs me and, dis- and, and deeply troubles me is that this is not isolated. We've had the mayor of Calgary come out expressing five, six, maybe seven examples in her Twitter feed re- reacting to this. And fear is her takeaway from all of these incidents. We've had, in my years of television and radio, I've had work colleagues, female colleagues, co-hosts who are working on the same show as me endure insults, personal insults about their clothing, their weight, their looks, their choice of hair color, their choices of topics to cover, their choices of things to laugh at, their choice of fun topics to bring up. It goes on and on. And here's me on the same show, a man talking about the same subjects, laughing at the same things, and not a word was ever emailed or texted to me. And it used to just be emails, but now it's gone from sending nasty notes to physically confronting someone and verbally abusing them. And that's where this conversation is going right now. These verbal attacks, what are they rooted in? Like psychologically speaking, what are they rooted in? Is it insecurity? Is it feelings of inadequacy? Is it ego-driven? Is there something else going on here? My next guest on the show is Jen Betts. Jen is a registered psychologist, also CEO of the Calgary Institute of Counseling. Jen, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, Jen, are you there? Oh, hi, Jen. Are you there? Oh, I think we lost her, Pat. Uh, yeah, I think we'll have to try and call her back. Thank you, Pat. If you're just listening, is going to be calling Jen back. She's a psychologist to get into this. Like, how did th- how did it go from how did it go from just Emailing somebody, which is wrong and it's outright to verbally abuse someone in written word, in written form, or text message, or email. But how does somebody feel so emboldened that they think it's actually okay to track somebody, hunt them down a hallway, and confront them in front of an elevator with verbal abuse? I don't understand how that gets there, uh, Jen. Jen Betts joining us this afternoon. Jen, are you there?
2: I am. Thank oh, you for good. having me again. Oh, good.
0: Good. I thought there was a bit of a gremlin in the machine here this afternoon. <laughs> uh, just Stopped to remind, in. just to remind everyone listening, Jen's a registered psychologist, also oh, CEO. Also, excuse me, CEO of the Calgary Institute of Counseling. And Jen, how how. These these verbal abusers, be it of a media personality, be it of a politician, uh, a verbal is that is it rooted in feelings of insecurity or inadequacy? Is it ego driven? Like what's psychologically going on?
2: Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics actually to talk about because our world has changed so much in the last few years when it comes to politics and life and things like that. But I think it's rooted in fear. Oh. I remember studying for uh, the licensing exam for, to become a psychologist back when Donald Trump had just kind of, um, you know, put his campaign out there. And I remember reading in the, uh, the study material that one of the best messages is fear. But the only way the message of fear will work is if you tell someone an answer on how to get out of that fear. And in my opinion, I think politicians really do that well, unfortunately. So if you're afraid of COVID, here's the way I'm going to teach you how to get out of it. If you're afraid of finances, here's a way to get you out of it. Like the commercial you just had before you had me on was fascinating. It was a commercial about how we can't afford to have the UCP anymore. And that's creating fear. That's creating polarization. And so for some people, their lives really depend upon this. Right? Their lives depend on their restaurant being open. Their yeah. lives depend on not getting COVID. Some people, right, if we take it to an extreme, their lives really depend on not having um, a gay-straight alliance in a, in a school. Right, Some people really find these threatening. So their lives really feel like they depend upon it, unfortunately.
0: And, and it just kind of escalates in the feeling of you need to, to act out on it, and that's what leads to you know, the verbal abuse like we saw on Friday?
2: Yeah, I think it's a okay. fight or flight kind of yeah. sense. Like, I'm so scared for my restaurant that I have no money. I'm go- I need to attack. Like, this is the only way to get my message out. I'm so afraid that COVID is going to hurt my child. I'm going to lose it on someone if I see them without a mask on. Yeah, Because they're going to hurt my child. I'm so scared that it's either fight or flight is kind of what I see happens
0: for people. Uh, Jen, it's an interesting point. Um, I'm just picking up on something you said about a minute ago on the commercial you heard. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a commercial for the NDP. Um, yes. Obviously, they, they're launching a campaign considering we have an election coming up in the spring. Um, and and uh, I mean, we've also heard um, various types of fear things, whether you're conservative, uh, it doesn't matter what side of the political spe- spectrum side, you're yeah. on. Yeah, And and so that could lead also to animosity um, within in families and whatnot, right? And we're seeing this as well, where you're having family members, you know, not talking with other family members now, simply because of their political views.
2: Yeah, it does happen. Um, I'll be honest, it's, it's happened in a bit of our family. Um, my husband's side of the family, it has different political views than we do. And so, yes, it's hurt, it hurts families, but we also have to remember that it's okay to, to disagree. Yeah, It's okay, like, Yes, some of these things are very big and important, but we still get to live our life. Like We have so much freedom here in Canada compared to other countries, and we still get so much freedom. It's not the end of the world if so-and-so gets into political power. We we can still live our daily lives fairly normally, and so that's what we need to remember. We get so scared and so caught in the fight-or-flight mode. But life still goes on, even if the UCP or even if the NDP, whoever it may be, gets into power. Life can still go on, can still be okay, and family is so important. I believe it's not worth ending family over. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a good point, Jen. Thank you for raising that. Uh, w- when you're chatting with clients, Jen, who mm-hmm. may be feeling so uh, either frustrated or enraged or or, or fearful uh, of of one political stripe or the other, mm-hmm. uh, how do you how do you talk them through it?
2: Oh, I think it's the first thing is to validate, like, of course, like I remember, I'll use the example, um, like when Donald Trump was coming into power, um, I remember some, you know, individuals like BIPOC or women or things like that were quite scared. Um, They were afraid of, you know, what would happen if, you know, he got in power and what would happen here in Canada, how things could change. And so I think it's important to validate people's concerns because people do have valid fears right like abortion rules is one that's happening right now or there's more attacks against muslims in the last you know five years or so and so we all have fears but we have to validate and then we have to start being proactive okay so this is what's going to happen how can i take my power back though because we think like if so-and-so politician comes into our lives all our power is gone but we have internal power that we can use to to bring about a change in our lives. We don't always have to change other people's lives, but we can always be in control of our lives, no matter what.
0: I believe. Yeah, very good, Jen. Thank you for the clarity. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciated well, as you. always.
2: It's one of my favorites. So. Oh, good. <laughs> it's a good talk
0: today. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. Have a great evening.
3: You too. Thanks.
0: All right. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, that's Jen Betts, a registered psychologist, also the CEO of the Calgary Institute of Counseling. So there you go. Feelings of fear. That, that's the driving force for a lot of this verbal abuse. People taking away your power from a psychological perspective. It's interesting. But it's also interesting that, I mean, it, 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 it's a very small number of people who actually choose to follow somebody and verbally attack them. Thankfully, in my opinion... You know, it's just fascinating to me when you think about it. Back to school week. It's happening. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is real. I know many of you, like me right now, trying to wrap your head around, you know, getting back into that routine, the back to school routine. It's especially strange, at least for me, at least. Uh, You know, be it a public system, Catholic system, you know, the kids are starting before Labor Day weekend, which always kind of throws me for a loop. But all this week, we're going to try and give you some tips, help you ease back into things with some ideas, hopefully kind of news you can use to make it a little less chaotic for you and your family. With that in mind, we're going to focus first on lunches and that's where sarah remmer comes in sarah's a registered dietitian here in calgary she's also co-author of a book titled food to grow on the ultimate guide to childhood nutrition from pregnancy to packed lunches sarah thank you so much for being here today
3: Oh, thanks for having me, Ted.
0: I, I love picking your brain, Sarah, cause you always give me lots of ideas when it comes to making lunches, right? And and oh, again,
3: I got lots of ideas. Oh,
0: good. okay. so so where do you think we should start here? Is planning kind of the first step in this process?
3: Yeah, definitely. you need to you need to set aside some time to plan ahead and kind of um, make sure that you have all of the foods that you need in your home to pack, you know, nutritious. Um, appealing lunches for your kids. (laughs) I think number one is having a really good lunch kit. So I always suggest getting, you know, investing in a good quality lunch, like a bento box style lunch kit, especially for littler kids that tend to be pickier and don't like their foods to touch. Yeah. So there's lots of different compartments, and just make sure that it's leak-proof and that there's an ice pack that you can freeze and put in with their lunch to keep it at a safe temperature. That is number one. And then just having lots of different foods that you know your children will like. I always used to, um, or I I use, I have three kids myself, and I use the rule of five when it comes to packing lunches just to keep things pretty streamlined and easy so that you don't get overwhelmed. I can tell you what the rule of five is. Yeah, please, yeah. Okay, Okay. so we need foods that are high in protein. Protein foods help, obviously, to build muscle and tissue in our kids' bodies, but also help to keep them fuller longer and extend their energy levels throughout the day. True. So protein foods are things like meat and poultry and fish and, of course, tuna and eggs. I buy those um, pre-hard-boiled eggs from Superstore or any grocery store because they don't smell, and I know that's a worry for kids when they bring eggs to school. Um, So, yeah, the pre-hard boiled eggs are a good one. Um, Canned tuna, the flavoured ones are good. They don't tend to smell either. Things like beans and lentils, seeds are a good one too for protein. So things like chia seeds and hemp hearts. And then, of course, Greek yogurt and cheese are also really good choices. And then you want to add in at least one fruit and at least one vegetable. And you can kind of, you know, with your child decide what their favorites are, add lots of variety and color. Fruits and veggies are, of course, important for antioxidants and vitamins and minerals and fiber, And then an energy food. So something like bread or a wrap or like tortilla or pita or a muffin or granola bar or something with carbohydrates to keep their energy going. And then last but not least, I always like to add a quote unquote just because food. So sort of a fun food. (laughs) (laughs) So whether that's a treat, a cookie, or a brownie or candy or something like that to just add some fun. Yeah.
0: And you know what? To be honest with you, I guarantee you, at least for my seven-year-old, that's the first thing eaten is the fun food.
3: (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. But it's, you know, just showing kids that every food can fit and, um, you know, it's something for them to look forward to in their school lunch.
0: No kidding. No kidding. Okay, so that's the rule five. I love it. Uh, Great Mm -hmm. advice. Do, Do you recommend, Sarah, that you kind of test out some of these foods, you know, on your little ones before you send it to school. Like give it, give it to them on a plate for lunch, or or as a snack before dinner. Maybe even the, you know, this afternoon. Just just to see if they're actually going to eat those apple
3: slices, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, you know, it's really important to expose your kids to all of those different foods before they, you know, go in their school lunch. I mean, it's not a bad thing to introduce something new in their school lunch. As long as you do have at least two items that you know that they're going to eat and accept, then, you know, introducing something new is, is totally fine. Actually, in fact, that brings to mind sometimes kids are a little bit more brave when they're around their friends uh-huh. instead of their family members. So it's sort of of that um you know you know when they're watching other kids eat and being really brave with foods that might entice them to be brave with their foods too so i wouldn't shy away from introducing something new but it's always good to kind of yeah give it a test run before you send it in their lunch um but yeah the the main thing is make sure that you have at least two items in your child's lunch that you know they will accept. And it's always a good idea to get them to help you, you know, menu plan and even pack their lunches. My older kids are now packing their own lunches. They kind of know the rule of five and they follow that and they just sort of pack their own now. So,
0: Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I love that. Chatting with Sarah Remmer this afternoon. Uh, Sarah is a, is a, a Calgary based nutritionist, registered dietitian. She's also an author of, of a fantastic book that, if you're looking for it, it's called Food to Grow On The Ultimate Guide to Childhood Nutrition nutrition from pregnancy to packed lunches and it's the packed lunches we're talking about this afternoon with sarah remer as we count down to school starting this week for most calgary kids and and getting the kids involved sarah in in actually kind of choosing you know i'm gonna take an apple today and i'm not gonna have you know a banana today do you think that gets a pretty good buy-in from the little ones
3: I think so, and I think you know having boundaries, but then giving them a bit of freedom. So, for example, you could say something like, "Okay, so we need a fruit. We need at least, we need a variety of foods in your lunch. Here, you know, is the rule of five. You need at least one fruit, at least one vegetable. Here are your three choices for fruits. You can do a peach, an apple." or grapes, which one would you like to choose? So I call this structured choice. Yeah. We're ultimately, you know, deciding, but they, they get to decide within those choices, which which kind of does give them a little bit more buy-in and makes them feel more in control. I bet.
0: I just thinking of, I do it all the time with brushing. Do you want to brush your teeth right now, or do you want to do it in 10 minutes? But the ultimate choice leads to them brushing their teeth, right?
3: Exactly. It's kind of a win-win. It
0: totally is. Sarah, thank you so much for your time this afternoon and your advice. As always, I appreciate it. Thank you.
3: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: That's Sarah Remmer, registered dietitian here in Calgary. She's co-author of a book titled Food to Grow On, The Ultimate Guide to Childhood Nutrition from Pregnancy to Packed Lunches. Now, Sarah's website has all kinds of lunch ideas, sarahremer.com. Sarah is spelled S-A-R-A-H. Remmer is spelled with E's and two M's, so R-E-M-M-E-R, sarahremer.com, and then just click on the search function and type in lunch. And you'll get all kinds of advice from Sarah and her team on not only coming up with lunch ideas, but tips and tricks on actually trying to get the kids to eat what you pack for them when they go to school.